Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I'm receiving communion this morning. I mean, grape juice, Red Bull, <laughs> this gives you a lot more bang for your buck. Uh, anyway, glad you're here. I want to make this quick announcement. Um, tonight at 5 o'clock, we'll have our second leadership session. We'll have those the last Sunday of each month until we tell you otherwise. Um, the, the reason for this is that everyone in here will uh, be better for attending because leadership is not about a location, it's about a position in your life and heart. You're a leader as a mother or a father, a leader as a wife or a husband, a leader as an employee or an employer. Leadership applies to every area of our lives. And uh, many years ago, I can't even tell you how long ago it was, I was called at that time by a man named John Maxwell, who had been a pastor in San Diego, had a heart to train leaders all over the world, resigned his church in San Diego, moved to Atlanta, Georgia. John had a vision of training a million leaders around the world, and he knew he couldn't do it by himself. So he solicited uh, some of us pastors who had large churches, called us, and there were about 10 or 15 of us invited to his home in Atlanta, Georgia. He shared the vision of what he called the million leader mandate. And that evening in Atlanta, Georgia, John looked at me and said, Mark, I'd like to ask you uh, to go to Cape Town, South Africa. I'd never been to Africa in my life, but John could sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. And he said, uh, uh, Cape Town is the garden spot of the world, one of the most beautiful locations on planet Earth. And so he had me there. And I, but I really still didn't want to go. It was a long flight. It was a long way there, a long way back. So I said, John, I'll do it if you will allow me to have London, England when you open London, England. And so uh, sure enough, I fly home from Cape Town and resume my responsibilities as a pastor, and we would only go two times a year to train people. And he said, uh, I got a call that London had now been opened up. They had opened it up at Westminster Chapel, just down from Buckingham Palace. And uh, I spent the next three years, twice a year in London, training leaders there. And then after I finished the tour in London, I began to travel to South America, Santiago, Chile, and train leaders there. So I've had the privilege of training leaders in different parts of the world, and I've seen the change in people's lives as a result of John's material and uh, just the willingness to share that. And so tonight I'll be sharing that. And when I say this, there's probably not a more important meeting that we do at Mosaic than this one meeting a month. It's strictly teaching on leadership. And I would, I would encourage you to be here tonight it's from 5 o'clock to 6 o'clock. All of your teenagers will be in here, and the youth leaders will be in here tonight. That's how important this is. And, and your, your family will benefit from this. So please make sure you don't oversleep this afternoon. How many of you know there's nothing like a Sunday afternoon nap except a Sunday afternoon nap when it's cold and dark and wet outside? Oh, I'm going to go crash. You guys need to pray. I wake up. And uh, Well, we're going to finish the series uh, on offensive love. And this will be the last sermon in the series. And this morning I got up. I had a, a sermon all prepared this week. 
And uh, it was actually a sermon on Jonah and the steps it took for Jonah to go from a word from God to Nineveh to reach the people of Nineveh who were lost. And so I had everything figured out. I'm up studying this morning and I just couldn't get an uh uh-huh from God. So I sat in my office for a while and the sermon you're about to hear is that sermon that came this morning. I know, frightening, right? And um, so we'll see how it works, okay? What about that? This is, uh, (laughs) today's more of a teaching to finish this off than as entertaining as some of them have been because I believe uh, that there's nothing on earth more important than love. So when you call out to God, you could literally get up in the morning and say, Oh, love, how I love you. Because God is love. So when you think about love, everything in our lives, there's nothing more important than love. The Bible says love never fails. Love covers a multitude of sin. And in our lives, if we love people, you'll always know how much you love someone when you love them enough to cover their sin instead of expose their sin. The Bible never tells us to expose one another's sins. As a matter of fact, it says that, that love covers that sin. It doesn't mean that, that uh, our sin is without consequence. It just means that if you really love someone, you want to minimize the consequence of that sin. In Luke, Luke says if your brother, you find your brother in sin, go to him privately. If, you've, if he repents, you've won a brother. This is how, much, this is how love works. He says, you know, if he, if he doesn't repent, then take two to three witnesses with you. And, and so God says, these are the steps before you ever say anything to the church. These are the steps we're to take. Why? Because that's what love does. Love doesn't throw people under the bus. So if you find someone at work that's made a mistake and you know that they've made that mistake, privately go to that brother and say, you know, look, here's the reality. You know, you know that, that here's what we're called to do. Now, this is obviously talking about the church, but I believe the principle of love works everywhere. Rather than trying to get someone in trouble, what about if you try to love them out of trouble and help them to see the potential consequences of their behavior? That's what love does. That's what Jesus did for us. Is that not right? Rather than God screaming from heaven and destroying the earth and starting over, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. And you know, basically he could have said to bail out the world. Because he said in verse 17 of that same chapter in John 3, For I did not send my son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. That's love. And so we're all different. We have different fingerprints. We have different desires. We have different egos. We have different issues. We have different cares. We have different passions. We have different things that trigger our emotional responses to life and others. We're all very, very different. And because we're very different, oftentimes we go around looking for people just like us. And we, guess what? We start this little love group because, after all, we're the right group. And maybe our little group can change every other group that's not like our group. And the whole world will look like us. Boring. God has made it possible for us to grow. How many of you know that everybody in your life that you don't like is not an enemy? Communion. (laughs) Some of those people are your instructor. They're your teacher. 
They are in your life to help you grow and become the person God wants you to become. The Bible says iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. And so we have to be aware of the people who are in our lives that we have a really hard time loving and and the people who are in our lives that are really an annoyance from hell. Okay, glad you like that. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Welcome all of you watching online. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, I'm just a noisy person walking around the earth, uh, spouting off the heavenly language of God, but that's all I'm doing. Uh, I don't have love. You know, have you ever been around someone who says, I'm a prophet, and then they start getting mean with you? Then you did not grow up in my denomination. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, if you can demonstrate the power of God by doing incredible feats, by laying hands on sick people, by praying in tongues and prophesying, but you have not love, according to this, I'm going to paraphrase, you don't really have a lot of value. Because all of those things without love are nothing but noise and exhibition. That's all they are. Putting on a show. So if you don't sense love in somebody, it may be good that you back off of that somebody and not listen. Uh, If somebody's not speaking with a heart of love, if someone wants to correct you without a tear, it may not be godly correction. In other words, if I was ever going to correct somebody, I ought to feel such pain in, in the midst of me going and confronting that that it, it, they could feel my pain so much that they would, they would automatically apologize and say, you know, I'm so sorry, or I really want to do right. That, that, to me, is the ultimate love, is when you take no joy in seeing someone else hurt. <clears throat> so, it goes on. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Do we see the importance of love? Let me tell you guys something. We're going to fail at a lot of things. We do every week. We have staff meeting every Monday, and every Monday we we find things that we missed, things that we didn't do right. But the one thing that I pray I never hear is that we lost our cool with someone who wasn't behaving right at Mosaic Church. I want us to be able to look at the worst person that could possibly walk through these doors, angry, frowning, mad, and be able to love them. To me, that's the true test of God's church. I hear people boast about how great some worship teams are. Oh, the music is awesome at that church. I think that's wonderful. The preacher did an incredible job. Children's ministry was Absolutely, I checked my kids in easy. I got them out quickly. And if I hear those things, I go, eh, I'm glad we did well. You know what I want to hear? I went to that church. I got out of my car, and there was this strange person in an orange vest. And I didn't know why they were there. Well, the reason they have an orange vest is because we want you to at least think about it. If they don't have an orange vest, you really should wonder why they're there. 
but we try to tag it a little bit so that you can know they're not after you, that maybe they work as a servant leader and they're really coming to assist me. What I want to hear from people is the minute I got out of my car, there was someone there to welcome me. Then I got to the front door and there were way more people than I ever expected to welcome me. Then I walked 10 feet further and the pastor and pastors were there welcoming me. And then when I got to the mini mosaic check-in, the people were kind and loving me. And they helped me to the classroom. That's what I want to hear. I love our worship. I like hearing you preach a good message. But I don't like any of those things as much as I like to hear. I felt so loved at that church. I don't remember what they sang. I don't remember what he said. I just know this. Those people loved me. That's what I want to hear. They didn't judge me because, you know, everybody, I love it when we have a funky church. I like it because you dress different. I like all the different dress, people dress. I, I mean, you know, you've heard the story. We had a guy one time in the church I was pastoring before, six feet six. That's bad, really. I mean, if you're really tall, you're good. But don't stick a Velcro, a Chihuahua to your jacket. This guy walked in with a motorcycle, and literally he, the, the dog had a jacket on. He had a leather jacket on, Velcro on each side, and he put the dog in on Velcro to his shoulder. Now, it, you know, you kind of, as a pastor, I'm looking out there going, how do I love this? People are going to think we're strange. And, and they did, but they kept coming because we let strange happen. And you know what? The guy was just as just normal as everybody, minus the chihuahua. God called us to love that man who velcroed a chihuahua to his shoulder. And I'll never forget the night that a man walked in in a multicolored striped robe. I'm up on the stage and I look and I went, that's interesting. Must be Kardashian's new line. Anyway, so. And I, I'm like stunned and I thought, well, what do we do? Well, long story short, when I did the invitation at the end of the service, the guy comes forward to get saved. I was just thankful his robe was tied. Come to find out, later he told somebody there wasn't anything on under there. We said, thank you for tying your rope. <laughs> so what do you do with people like that? You love them. Say, but that's not church attire. Who says? Thank you very little. Now, <laughs> Mother Teresa was interviewed in, about the contrasting lives of the rich and the poor. And speaking of the rich, she said this. The hunger for love is much more difficult to remove than the hunger for bread. In other words, everybody wants to be loved. All of us want to be loved. We just, we just want someone to love us right where we're at, just the way we are. And you know, those of us who grew up as baby boomers, we were taught, I love you too much to leave you the way you are. And that's God's line. That's not your line or my line. That's God's line because only God can truly transform the hearts of man. We can't. So we're called to love people so much that God can do whatever he wants with them. So we don't, you know, if somebody comes in with peacock hair, we just love peacocks. You understand what I'm saying? Because that's who this church is. That's what I am. That's who I am. That's who we are. That you say, but you know, what, what about this and what about that? You can throw all the scenarios you want at me. We're going to try to figure out a way to love people 
so many different ways that they're going to like one of them. We're not here to see through people. We're here to see people through. That's what this church is all about. We're not perfect. Watchman Nee said Christianity is not the removal of human weakness, nor just the manifestation of divine power, but the manifestation of divine power in the presence of human weakness. That divine power works through love. So let's walk through this. I'm going to give you about five or six key topics on what, what we're to do with love. Number one, we are to first love God. The very first thing we are to do is to love God. Jesus said, love the Lord your God. This is Matthew chapter 22, 36. With all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. It's to love God. Now, I know what you're thinking. That's easy because God is good or I don't know how many of you ever had times where I just didn't think God was good. I'm just being honest with you. I'm shaking this down. There were times, there have been times in my life I've just looked and said, God, where are you? Where are you right now? Where are you? Because I'm not feeling loved right now. Can I tell you something? God already knows what you're thinking. So if you're off at God, there's a word that goes before that. It's not a surprise to God, nor should it be a surprise to you. How many of you know that, that love doesn't come without human involvement? In other words, both good and bad. That we, we are very human and oftentimes struggle with love. I remember I lost my fifth child. What you don't know is my youngest daughter is number six. So I, and when I say I have five children, that's really not accurate. I have six children because we miscarried my fifth child named Anastasia. Now, that was a really rough time because up to that point, my life had been pretty pristine. I mean, I had, I'd had some rocky times, but never had I lost one of my children. And I'll never forget that moment of sitting down with my children and crying with them. They were young. My first four were very young at that time. And uh, we had had them four, five, and under. And then we were going to have that, that fifth child and, and all of a sudden miscarry. And I remember wanting to look at God and say, God, you know I've done everything you've asked me to do. In 1990, God had me run across America for the unborn. In one year, I ran 3,000 miles. I ran 1,500 miles of those in 98 days. I weighed 150 pounds and was 4% body fat. I struggled. I was in pain. I ran 17 miles every day. God, look at what I did. God, I started a church. Look at what I've done. And we start going down that list, and the reality is that was not what God needed to hear, nor was it what God should have heard. But let me tell you something. God doesn't get offended. So when you talk to God and you express yourself, it's not a lack of love. Let me tell you what I think love is. Love is honest and authentic with God. And I got through that time. 
And some of you may be angry with God, but the very first thing we're called to do, which would be the very first thing the devil would attack, is our love for God. You know, many people, I've heard this, I've been in the church world now since the late 70s, and I've heard people say, I, I don't go to church because. And they point to a situation or something that happened in the church that tells me they were looking too much to man and not enough to God. Nothing should drive you away from the place that God has planted you. Now, if God says move, then move. I've always told people, I only pray for people to be at Mosaic that are called to be at Mosaic. I'm not in competition with any other church in town. We're on the same team. But I know this, that some of y'all need a crazy church like Mosaic. You just do. With an imperfect pastor that you need that. I give you hope. I do. I give you hope. I'm like the Apostle Paul. When Paul, the Apostle Paul spoke in the epistles, he said, I am the worst of all sinners. I think the Apostle Paul is my great, 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 great uncle. It runs in the family. And here's what I've learned. that Love never, ever fails. very first thing we are in love for God is demonstrated through the fact that we're soldiers of Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 3 says, Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. The very first thing that you're going to have to do is fight to maintain that love. You'll have to fight to maintain that love. Because love is easily stolen. Love is easily compromised. Love is easily given away. Think about it. Love is the gem, the treasure of heaven that God has given to us to best demonstrate His presence in our lives. When you can love someone more than you absolutely care about being right, when you love them that much, that is the demonstration of God. Because when God sent Jesus, we were totally wrong. Mankind had betrayed God in the garden, and yet God said, I love you more than your sin. I love you more than what you've done to me and against me. You cannot offend God. But you know what? As a soldier of Jesus Christ, we have to fight to maintain that love. Because love is the devil's target. It's the bullseye. If he can hit, hit us in that area, doesn't matter if we can speak to mountains and say move from here to there. Doesn't matter if we prophesy, speak in tongues. None of those things matter if we don't have love. You can be the best employee, the highest performing employee. You dot the I's, cross the T's. You are no different than a modern day Pharisee. That's how they prided themselves. And when Jesus came, Jesus was at odds with them and they were at odds with Jesus because they felt like if they could keep the law and if they couldn't keep a law, they added a law to it that helped them ignore the first law. They took ten commandments and turned them in over 600. What happens when we fail? We create another rule. But love doesn't do that because we know that love doesn't keep records and it certainly does not keep a record of wrong when you love someone you shouldn't have to tell them now I know that you should tell them but you shouldn't have to tell them you get what I'm saying because love love's greatest voice is expressed through man's greatest action if you really love someone before you ever open your mouth, they're going to know what you're going to say because you've already demonstrated it to them. 
Secondly, we express love as saints. The Bible says we're Christ ambassadors, 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're Christ ambassadors. Have you ever thought about what an ambassador is? Like there are, there are Americans, I've, I met with them uh, at the U.S. Embassy in Maseru, Lesotho, Africa. I had a meeting with the ambassadors from the United States of America in, in order. We were doing a work there, so I wanted to go meet with them and find out all I could from them. And they represent America to Lesotho. And there are ambassadors from America in countries all over the world. And their one job is to represent America and Americans in that nation. That means that they need to stay steady with why they're there. They don't have the privilege of, of just running their life day to day based on emotion. They run it based on direction. The Bible, it gives us direction on how to respond to people and how to be ambassadors to this world, this temporary world in which we live. And we're called to love. We're called to represent Him as saints and then as servants, recognizing that sainthood is not the highest goal. But the Bible talks about serving. If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. We don't call people here, those of you that, you know, you'll look around and my prayer is that, and I'm going to say this to all of you that have servant leader shirts that we gave out for Easter. I know you like to dress differently on Sunday, but I really like it when you wear the servant leader shirts that we paid $7 each for. <laughs> and there's a reason for that. And you know what? We got to get this in our head. This is, this is not a fashion show. This is a service industry. So when you wear that shirt and it says servant leader, don't get mad at me. You got to love me. That's why I'm preaching on love right now. <laughs> love me. That servant leader shirt, number one, you're not afraid to be a servant and you're not afraid to be a leader. And the other thing is when somebody sees it and they're new here, they know who to go to to ask a question. Have you ever been in a department store before? I've been in a department store. It's embarrassing, most embarrassing thing in the world that somebody shopping looks like somebody that works here and you go, hey, can you help me? And they go, I don't work here. What you've just told them is their outfit is hideous. Anyway, so, <laughs> and so I've gone up to them and I've asked, you know, you know, so when we have servant leaders, we don't call them volunteers because volunteers not in the Bible. Being a servant is. And so your expression of love when you serve, you know, really you don't even have to say much. They just see you got a blue servant leader shirt on. You don't have to wear it. Don't get mad at me. Don't quit on God and get, some of you might just, let's take communion. Thank you. We love him in subordination. Subordination is an act of love for God to God and others. In other words, we understand our position in this world. It says, so I want men everywhere to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from sin, anger, and resentment. In other words, we are subordinate. We understand that we are servants. We are submitted to God. This is a way of loving God and loving others. It's not trying to be over people, but to come under people. That's what servants do. And, you know, that kills our ego in a, a society that applauds success no matter what it takes. Running over people. We don't run over people. I'm the head servant leader in this church. What that means is my primary job is to make sure everybody on staff has the tools they need to do their job. I'm called to serve their gift. 
And so, trust me, it's costing us a lot of money to serve their gift. Because we need a lot of things for them. Children's ministry, all that stuff you see on the stage. And we fortunately have some very wonderful musicians who have allowed us to use their keyboard, their drums. Just pray that they love us always and never get mad and we show up one day and they're not here. <laughs> Amen. I do appreciate they trust us. They leave their instruments here and they come back faithfully every week. True. These people on stage, some of you see them as performers. These are incredible servant leaders up here and you need to give them a hand clap. I mean, sometimes people look at people on stage and they think they're different. Let me tell you, these people get here before anybody gets here. And they rehearse and they rehearse and they rehearse. And then they play two services. And, and you know what? Sometimes they just don't get the credit they deserve because they're on stage. And I appreciate you. <laughs> Secondly, we're wired to love ourselves. You're not, you're not called to love yourself before God, obviously we'd all agree to that, but some of you would say, but aren't we supposed to love others first? You cannot love others first until you find out how much you love you. You know, we live in a world that that criticizes people who affirm themselves. And sometimes if you can't find anybody else to affirm you, you just need to affirm yourself. And it's not egotistical to talk about how much God loves you and how much you love the person God made you to be. And the devil comes and uses everything that you do wrong against you to keep you from loving you. Because you can't give what you don't have. If you don't love someone, if you don't love yourself, you can't love someone. The reason I took time off is I had to learn to love me again. Because I realized the reason I wasn't loving is I didn't love me. I knew who I was. I knew the pain I was feeling. I was exhausted, fatigued. I fell out, fell out of love with me. And that may sound strange, but you've got to love you. With all your flaws and all your issues, and trust me, you have them. We all have them. And, and I don't look at my issues anymore. I've got them. I look at God. And you know what God does when I look at him? He might take one of the biggest issues that I have and address it with such kindness that I go, God, you're right. That's not helping me. That's not helping me. And if it's not helping me, it's not helping others. I told you a couple of weeks ago that my cousin, 64 years old, uh, we grew up just four blocks from each other and went to the same small school. And she was one of the sweetest cousins you could ever ask for. She's had a really tough life. And uh, she found herself at uh, OU Medical Center, blood clots. She'd had cancer treatment. She had beat breast cancer, and now she has esophagus cancer. And... Uh, I was called by her sister and told that she was here. She wouldn't even, she didn't even call me. She, she just didn't want to bother or burden anybody. And so she's down here by herself. And I told her sister, I'll pray for her. And God said, you won't pray for her. You go see her. And I went down to see her and I told you, you know, I'm, I'm a very, I like, I like my house. I like, it's my refuge. And while I was there, God said, you just offer her your house. She had cancer treatment left to do here in Oklahoma City, and she was going to drive back and forth from Oklahoma City to Tulsa. It was an hour and 45-minute, two-hour drive. She actually lives in Sky Tuk. And I asked her, I said, would you be interested in staying at my house? And you know what? I, I couldn't have done that before because I cared too much about me. And God said, you know what? I want you to love her. So she spent a week with me, almost a week, four or five nights with me, and went to her cancer treatment center. 
But I realized it was because I finally loved me enough to love her the way God was loving me. I wouldn't have done that before. I would have used every excuse in the book. I'm busy pastoring a church. I don't have time for this. Any of you ever used those words? It's kind of like the story of the, the Good Samaritan, isn't it? only thing I hate about that story is it specifically mentions priests. It doesn't mention people who work for Dell or Apple or insurance companies. It's a priest. A priest walks by on the other side of the street. Priests, we know how to cross the street safely to get to the other side to avoid people. We're busy. We use all these excuses. But because I loved me, God let me love her. You'll find yourself doing strange things when you fall for you and love you. It's not a wrong thing. You're called to love yourself. It says, this is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like that one that I just read. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Most of the time when people do things different than us, we want to punish them so that they never do it again. I'm so thankful that God didn't look at us and want to punish us so that we would behave. He loved us so that we would change. Isn't that amazing? I talked to one of my kids last night. There, I've become a hotel. I'm going to have to probably register as a hotel. Uh, my third child, second oldest son, his wife, they were hit by the storms on Friday, electrics out. Their, they, their neighborhood was hit harder than any in Oklahoma City. Trees down, crushing cars. It's an amazing situation. So they were at my house last night. So I just changed the sheets. I now know why my mother did not want friends to stay all night at our house. <laughs> Isn't it funny that you get that clue? Mom would say, nah, that's not happening. Because you have to change the sheets. You have to wash them, you have to unmake the bed, and you have to wash them, and you have to put them back on. I'm going to tell you all something. Those fitted sheets were created in hell. (laughs) Every man, every man in here, you need to go home and kiss your wife and say, for the next month, I'm changing sheets for you. She will know that you love her. (laughs) I never had to do this. I'm single. And now I'm having to change sheets and pillowcases and and wash towels. People are just dirty and oily. But I looked at my son last night. He's got two precious babies, or my granddaughter and grandson, and three years old and three months old. And I said, I looked at he and his wife. We stayed up till 12:30 in the morning, y'all. Communion. I love my kids. And so I said, you know, guys, and I said, I really didn't know what I was doing parenting. I said, I, I, I look back and, you know, I love my grandkids. They're easy. I mean, everybody, I think God should have us had grandkids before we had kids. We'd be a lot better to our kids. Because I love my grandkids. I don't ever spank her. She can do whatever she stinking wants to do. She can throw up on the couch, drop milk on the couch, scream, because I know I'm going to send her home in a little while. It's all good. (laughs) But love disciplines, it doesn't punish. The Bible says that God disciplines those he loves. You say, what's the difference? Discipline says, I want you to be better. 
Punishment says, I want to feel better about your suffering. Because what you did to me hurt me, and I want you to feel the pain that I feel. That's punishment. Discipline says, I want you to do better, and I want you to be better. God doesn't punish those he loves. He disciplines those he loves. Thirdly, we're called to love believers. So you love God, love self. And then in John 15, Jesus said, this is the command that I give you. Love one another. The household of faith. Love one another. Let me tell you why it's important that we love one another before we love, quote, unquote, the world. And I even hate that term or that word because I was of the world. I didn't get saved until I was in my 20s. And when the church talked about the world and the saints, I felt like there was a chasm between us. The world is no different than us. We're all sinners saved by grace. They just haven't heard it yet. I had not heard it yet. But we're called to first love one another so that when lost people come, they sense the love that we have for each other. Have you ever been in a home, walked into a home? I had friends who's, I grew up in a real rough neighborhood, as rough as you could grow up probably in the state of Oklahoma. And man, I always hated going to a friend's house when there was turmoil in the home. You felt uncomfortable, did you not? You, you know, they, they were just, a husband and wife were fighting, and you're a little kid. And we ran the neighborhood every summer in jeans, no shirt, no shoes. We were just redneck. And, and uh, I remember one family was a very good friend of mine. He was an only child. And his dad scared me to death. They were always just yelling. And, and so I never wanted to go to his house. How many of you know that if we don't get along with each other, why in the world would the world ever want to come and be a part of this church? If you're talking mean to somebody or talking about somebody, why would I want to be here? I have a confession to make. My favorite sitcom probably of all time was Cheers. Took place in a bar. <laughs> Cheers. You know why I liked it? Number one, I love the song. Love the song. Just want to go where everybody knows your name. Isn't that, isn't that all mankind? We just want to go where everybody knows our name. We love to hear our name. I try to remember your name because I just want to fight dementia. <laughs> I figure one of the best ways to do that is try to memorize everybody's name. So I think I'm just going to call, start calling you whatever I th comes to my mind. And if I'm wrong, hey, Larry, how you doing? It's Bob. Hey, Bob, how are you? And then I'll get your name. I think I'm just going to do that because I just want you to know I love you. And, and there's no, nothing that feels so loving as when you hear your name. And so when I think about, you know, how close they were at that bar, and I know I would be crucified and kicked out of the church for mentioning this 30 years ago. But you know what Hollywood does? is they really tapped into what society wants. They just haven't tapped into the love that provides us with what we need. But the desires are there. The reason so many people come to the same church time and again, year after year, is not because of the great music or the great preaching, but because of the great love that they feel in that place. I'd much rather go to a church that was filled with love than filled with a a preacher who waxed eloquent, or a band that didn't miss a note. All of those things to me are not important anymore. What's important to me is that we love one another. And guess what Jesus said? This is the command. If you love one another, your joy will be complete. Your level of joy can be directly measured by the level of love that you have for others. When I love people, my joy is awesome. When I feel angry or, or 
I, it's hard for me to keep joy behind the wheel because I don't, I don't have love for stupid driving. I did not say stupid drivers. There's a difference. But I, I really have to work on loving. And there are times when somebody, you know, have you ever been in that when three lanes goes down to two or two goes down to one? And you look in your mirror and people are speeding. They're supposed to be getting over back there. But they see that they're going to get right up the front, try to nose in. My flesh wants to go, not a chance, Lance. In the name of Jesus, I'll run you into one of those barrels in a minute. I love you, but I don't love you right now. I'll love you after I run you into a barrel. I waited. You're going to wait. Have you ever had that flesh moment? I have that flesh kind of moment. Now, here's what I do nowadays. I go, here they come. And I just go, what do you own? I do my best now to love them and let them in. And I, I, but the problem with that, then I get into pride. I do. I go, look at what I did, Jesus. I let him in. I don't know which sin's worse. I think I'll just run him into a barrel. I'd feel better. <laughs> because what you want to say is, I love you enough to teach you to never do that again. I should move along. Oliver Goldsmith said, people seldom improve when they have no other model but themselves to copy. People seldom improve when they have no other model but themselves to copy. So ask yourself the question, you know, how well do I feel like I'm loving? Never ask a man how his marriage is doing. Ask his wife. She'll always tell the truth. Because men will say, oh, we're great, we're awesome. She's over there going... And you're lying right now. Sometimes we, we tell the story, oftentimes, that we want people to hear instead of being honest with who we are. If there's one thing I've learned in the last three years is that authenticity is one of the most precious gifts that we have to offer people in our lives. The first thing I, thing I tell people when they meet me or they've heard about me I say, I just get it over with and go Google me. See if you still love me. I don't hide anything. I just feel so much better. I mean, I was telling the first audience, I said, you know, I, I have issues with symmetry. I'm very symmetrical, which means I would not be a very good artist. How many of you know that artists are very strange people? And some of you in here are artists, and you're already offended by me saying that. All of my children are artists. Two of them can paint and draw Three of them are professional musicians. I, I have a house full of art. You know how hard that is for a symmetrical dad? Because there's no symmetry in art. How many of you know it's just like you walk in and you see a painting. I was at the Arts Festival Friday. And I'm like, what were they thinking? Have you ever done that? And, and they ask, what does that mean to you? And they can explain it in detail. I'm thinking, you're just crazy. But I, and so if you'll notice in the lobby, if you haven't already noticed... That there's a white sofa group in that and a white one in that one. Symmetry. Now I want you to go out and notice the televisions. They are a perfect distance from each door jam. <laughs> Measured out, perfect is symmetrical. The guy who hung them is just like me, and he says, How do we want to do this? I said, We want them exactly 
the same distance from each door jam. I am so bad that I will wear the same color of underwear as my jeans. Don't go there. There's not another pastor you ever heard talk about underwear, but I'm telling you, I have to match or I don't feel right. Now, some of you are just as sick as me, and you just got liberated that everything in your life is now okay. I told you it was going to be a teaching day. It is one of those things. I, I, my daughter's a dancer, and I look at her sometimes, and I go, what is so wrong with you people? They wear sweats that are like cut, cut, and you know the kind that have elastic, and one leg will be up here, and the other one will be down there. It's not symmetrical. Both of them are either need to be at the ankle or up by the knee. The reason we don't love other people is because they're not like us. They haven't done anything wrong. We are prejudiced. Every one of us have to fight prejudice. That's, that's what we have to fight. Because we're all the same. We're all created in the image and likeness of God. Somebody wears their hair different. Somebody dresses differently. Somebody dresses like a dancer. Somebody's black. Somebody's brown. Somebody's American Indian. Somebody's African American. Folks, we're all called to love each other. Regardless of all of our differences, symmetrical, color, it doesn't matter. We're called to love each other. That's where our joy is. I mean, I, I tell you, I, I love different cultures. Uh, my whole family is just different cultures. My daughter is married to a Cuban slash Colombian. Full blood. I mean, I go meet with his family. His dad doesn't even speak English. So we have, we have to interpret when I go. I love their family. My other son married a Afri beautiful African-American woman. And I'm glad he did because we'll finally get some color in the crow house. <laughs> All my grandkids are so lily white that you, you, you can't see them during the day. I looked at my little African-American daughter-in-law and said, Sweetheart, you better bring some black jeans into the house. No pressure, but you better deposit some. And I love it. I love different, not just the, the, the diversity of that, but, you know, I, I'm going to tell your story, but I'm not going to point right at you. But, you know, some cultures, just like salsa dancing is a part of their culture. Honey, go dance. Go dance. Enjoy yourself. Church I went to, man, you couldn't even shoot pool. I, I'm just tired of the church judging people. We have no idea what culture they were brought up in, and we need to learn from it, not criticize it. We got all the excuses, and the real excuse is we're just not comfortable with it. It's not their issue, it's my issue. Don't blame somebody else for what belongs to you, it's your issue. I have to look anymore and say, if there's a problem here, let me invest, investigate me first. 
Because I promise you about 99.9% of the time when I'm having a tough time loving, it's not somebody else's fault. It's a fault within me that has chosen not to embrace them for who they are and what they are and what they look like and what they dress like. That's my problem. We look at everybody, well, they're this and they're that. Well, who are you? Look in the mirror, bozo. That really wasn't supposed to come out. That's the Red Bull talking right there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how I get criticized for this? I will tell you, I only drink one a week. It's on Sunday and just for you. And sometimes I drink this much and then sometimes I drink this much. And today, we're going all the way. Then, fourthly, we're called to love the church. Now, when I say this, please understand how important this is. In a world that has figured out you don't have to go to church to go to heaven, and that's exactly right. But you will pay hell getting to heaven without the church. We are better together than we are apart. God has called us to worship together. And, and I'm not saying this. I would, I'll tell you honestly, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if I was preaching this point, it would be solely for my own gain. It was about building a big church, and I did it. I built a church of 8,000 plus. And you know what? I'd look, and I would say, how can I get more people in here? I really don't give a flip about that anymore. What I give a flip about is you being happy, healthy, and whole. And I know that church is a part of that. Trust me, every week I think, if this just failed, I could move to the Bahamas. Or I go to work for Rick at Kailami Tours in Florida. I've asked him about it once a month. I love the outdoors and I love the ocean. And here I am with you, an ocean of love. And I do love you. I really do. You have no idea how much I love being here. I really, really do. I have my days that, I'm, anyway, this is not one of them. I'm feeling really lovey today. <laughs> Hebrews 10, it says, Let us not neglect our church meetings as some people do, but encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day is coming back uh, again is drawing near. Now, you know, I'm single, kind of. Well, with someone, but I'm single still. And you know why I'm with her now? Let me tell you why. I thought, how does the 60-year-old guy, what do you look for? Because when you're 20, the only reason you want to get married is so you can have sex and, and be okay with God. I said it out loud. No, when you're 20, you get born again, you love God, and you just go, <laughs> what do I do? And you get married. And, and you're just all happy for a while because God's smiling on your activity. <laughs> when you're 60, you look and go, it's going to take more than that. <laughs> I know what changing sheets is like now. Underwear to this. It's what a bad day. <laughs> but I began thinking, what 
what am I looking for? I'm just smarter now. First thing I thought, first off, she has to love God with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength. She's got to love God. And that wasn't enough. I said she has to love the church. Got to love the church. Then the third thing was maybe she has to love me. <laughs> that would be the task. <laughs> because I, I realized the power of the local church and, and the importance of the church in the world in which we live today. And that God said, don't forsake assembly together. And I'm, please understand, when I say this, and those of you watching online, I'm so thankful you're watching. I really am, and I, I never want you to feel left out or condemned. I'm just saying that when you can be around this group of people, see, we were born to touch each other and love each other. We were. The Bible talks about holy kisses and handshakes and laying hands on the sick. Science has, has uh, science and the Bible really are not separate. There's a reason for laying hands on the sick instead of just praying for the sick. doesn't mean that a prayer for the sick doesn't work, but science has proven that there are frequencies that run through our body. That when you lay hands on people, there. Oral Roberts used to say this. He could feel in his hand the power of God being released into people he prayed for. And so you can't do that online. Now, I'm not saying that you can't get your answer online. But something happens when we come together. Something happens. And I just encourage you, don't ever think for a minute that your time coming to church is a waste. Then lastly... We're called to love the world. We're called to love the world last because if we can't love each other, there's no chance of us loving a lost world. Even, even John told us that it's impossible for you to say that you love God who you cannot see if you cannot love your brother who you can see. We're called to be a demonstration of love to all the world. And that means when people come into this church, we're called first and foremost not to perform, but to love and accept everyone. And I'm going to tell you the hardest job as a pastor in a day and a time when there's so many different paradigms and philosophies and situations. And I will say this to you. And this will be very hard, but I know some of you in this room today have family members that have life partners of the same sex. And it pains you because you have a conviction, and we have a conviction. I have a conviction. But my conviction will never override my love for people. Just because you love someone doesn't mean you agree with them. It just means you've chosen to love them even in the midst of disagreement. And the question is, I've been asked several times since we've been in church, would I be welcome at your church? And I will tell you, my answer to everyone is, yes, you are welcome at Mosaic Church. <laughs> Religious people would say, you're wrong for doing that. You're accepting wrong behavior. Yeah, in all of us. In all of us, there's not one of us that, that came here today that's not flawed and doesn't have sin. 
please understand when I say this, I do have convictions. But it's only my responsibility to preach the good news. Go into all the world, Jesus said, and preach the gospel. It was not my responsibility to go into all the world and judge your behavior. I will preach the truth. And it will land on every one of us a little differently than it lands on somebody else. But I want you to know this. That I will love everyone. I may not do certain things. But I will love everyone. Because I feel like the only hope for any of us. When I was a drug addict and alcoholic. The church didn't accept me in that day either. We were the plague. Hair down my back. Looked like Peter Frampton. It was curly. Now it's turning loose instead of turning curly. <laughs> and there wasn't, in, in the 70s, there wasn't a church for people like me unless you were in California. And Chuck Smith at Calvary Chapel decided, I'm going to let the beach bums come in barefoot in tank tops and without shirts and women with tank tops and no bras. He said, I'm letting them come in. And that's what started a revival that slept, swept across America was one man who decided, I'm going to love everybody. And that love created a revival and a revolution. And I believe that's exactly what it's going to take for America once again is to love everybody no matter who they are, how they dress, what they look like. That's what's going to take for our country to be changed. Father, thank you that you have loved us and you demonstrated that love for us while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you are not a Christ follower and you've been afraid to follow him for fear that you couldn't be loved and that you couldn't love him the way you need to. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you'd simply say, I'm not a believer, but I want to be, what does that take? The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've not done that, I want you to know you're in a great place for that. You will not be judged here for just simply saying, please pray for me. And that's all I want to ask. If you're without Christ in your life today and you're not a follower of Christ, you say, but man, I really want to be. Does God really love me? Yeah, God so loved you that he sent his only begotten son. And he didn't send him here to condemn you, but that you might be saved through him. If you call on that name, you shall be saved. The Bible says, would, would you please do me a favor and do yourself a favor if you say please today pray for me I want to acknowledge that I need to make Christ the Lord of my life would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down very quickly please just play pray for me anyone at all in this place thank you thank you are there others pray for me I'm not gonna have you step out and there's a reason for that and I'll explain it years ago I used to have altars filled and I felt like God said Mark that was as much for your ego as it was for anything else and there's nothing wrong with doing that. Please understand me. I'm not criticizing anybody who does that. But for me today, this is about you and this is about God. It's not about me feeling good about your response. This is about you feeling great about being born again. So those of you watching online, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Say, Father God, I am so thankful that you sent your son to die for me. Jesus, today I repent of my sin and choose to live for you and follow you. Amen.